0: chapter eleven part four of the mysteries of paris volume two this librivox recording is in the public domain the mysteries of paris by eugene Sue. chapter eleven part four madame d'harville hid her face in her hands overcome by this painful disclosure she had not courage to add another word Rodolphe also remained silent his mind recoiled affrighted from the terrible mysteries of this night He pictured to himself the young maiden, already sad, in consequence of her return to the city in which her mother had died, arriving at a strange house, alone with a man for whom she felt an interest and esteem, but not love, nor any of those sentiments which enchant the mind, none of the engrossing feeling which removes the chaste alarms of a woman in the participation of a lawful and reciprocal affection. No, no, on the contrary, Clémence arrived agitated and distressed, with depressed spirits and tearful eyes she was however resolved on resignation and the fulfilment of duty when instead of listening to language full of devotion love and tenderness which would compensate for the sorrowful feelings which were uppermost in her mind she sees convulsed at her feet a stricken man who twists and foams and shrieks in the hideous convulsions of one of the most fearful infirmities with which a man can be incurably smitten this is not all his child poor little innocent angel is also withered from her birth these sad and painful avowals excited bitter reflections in rodolph's mind such said he is the law of the land a young Uh, handsome and pure girl the confiding and gentle victim of a shameful dissimulation unites her destiny to that of a man tainted with an incurable malady a fatal inheritance which he will assuredly transmit to his children the unhappy wife discovers this horrid mystery what can she do nothing nothing but suffer and weep nothing but endeavour to overcome her disgust and fright nothing but pass her days in anguish in indefinable and endless terror nothing but seek perhaps culpable consolation without the desolate existence which has been created around her again said rodolph these strange laws sometimes produce horrible unions fearful for humanity in these laws animals always appear superior to man in the care bestowed upon them in the improvements that are studied for them in the protection which encircles the guarantees which attend them By an animal and if an infirmity decried by the law is detected after the purchase the sale is null and void indeed what a shame what a case of public injury would it be to compel a man to keep an animal which has a cough is lame or has lost an eye why it would be scandalous criminal unheard-of infamy only imagine being compelled to keep and keep forever a mule with a cough a horse that was blind or an ass that was lame what frightful consequences might not such injustice entail on the community therefore no such bargains hold good no words bind no contract is valid the omnipotent law unlooses all that was bound but if it relates to a creature made after god's own image if it respects a young girl who in the full and innocent reliance on the good faith of a man unites her lot with his and wakes up in the company of an epileptic an unhappy wretch stricken with a fearful malady whose moral and physical consequences are immeasurably distressing a malady which may throw disorder and aversion into a family perpetuate a horrible disease vitiate whole generations yes this law So inexorable when lame, blind, or coughing animals are the consideration. This law, so singularly clear-sighted, which will not allow an unsound horse to increase the species. This law will not loosen the victim of a union such as we have described. These bonds are sacred, indissoluble. It is to offend God and man to break them. In truth, continued Rodolph men sometimes display a humility most shameful and an egotistical pride which is only execrable he values himself at less than the beast which he protects by warranties which he refuses for himself and he imposes on himself makes sacred and perpetuates his most distressing infirmities by putting them under the protection of the immutability of laws human and divine rodolph greatly blamed m but he promised to himself to excuse him in the eyes of Clemence, although fully persuaded after her sad disclosure that the marquis was for ever alienated from her heart one thought led to another and rodolph said to himself i have kept aloof from a woman i love and who perhaps already feels a secret inclination for me either from an attachment of heart or friendship she has bestowed her honour her life for the sake of a fool whom she thought unhappy If." Instead of leaving her, I had paid all sorts of attentions, love and consideration. My name would have been such that her reputation would not have received the slightest stain. The suspicions of her husband would never have been excited. Whilst now, she is all but at the mercy of such an ass as M. Robert, who, I fear, will become the more indiscreet in proportion as he has the less right to be so. And then, too, who knows if, in spite of the dangers she has risked, the heart of Madame d'Herville will always remain free. Any return to her husband is henceforward impossible. Young, handsome, courted, with a disposition sympathizing with all who suffer, what dangers, what shoals and quicksands lie before her! For M. d'Herville, what anguish and what deep chagrin! At the same time jealous of and in love with his wife, who cannot subdue the disgust and fright which he excited in her on their nuptials what a lot is his clmence with her forehead hidden by her hands her eyes brimful of tears and her cheek reddened by embarrassment avoided rodolph's look such pain had the disclosure cost her ah now said rodolph after a long silence i can understand the cause of m d'harville's sadness which i could not before account for i can imagine his regrets his regrets exclaimed clmence say his remorse Monseigneur if he have any for never was such a crime more coolly meditated a crime madame what else is it my lord to bind to yourself an indissoluble bond, bounds a young girl who confides in your honour when you are fatally stricken with a malady which inspires fear and horror what else is it to devote with certainty an unhappy child to similar misery what forced m d'harville to make two victims a blind insensate passion no He found my birth, my fortune, and my person to his taste. He wished to make a convenient marriage, because, doubtless, a bachelor's life wearied him. Madame, at least pity him. Pity him? If you wish pity, pray let it be bestowed on my child. Poor victim of this odious union! What nights and days have I passed near her! What tears have not her misfortunes wrung from me? But her father suffers from the same unmerited afflictions yet it is that father who has condemned her to a sickly infancy a withering youth and if she should survive to a life of isolation and misery for she will never marry ah no i love her too well to expose her to the chance of one day's weeping over her own offspring similarly smitten as i weep over her i have suffered too much from treachery to render myself guilty of or an accomplice in such wickedness you are right the vengeance of your mother-in-law was really atrocious but patience and perhaps in your turn you will be avenged said Rodolphe, after a moment's reflection what do you mean my lord inquired clmence astonished at the change in his voice i have generally had the satisfaction of seeing those whom i have known to be wicked most severely punished he replied in a voice that made clmence shudder but the day after this unhappy event what did your husband say he confessed with singular candour that his two former marriages had been broken off in consequence of the family's becoming acquainted with the secret of his fearful malady thus then after having been twice rejected he had the shameful the unmanly courage to drag a third poor victim into the abyss of misery the kind intervention of friends had preserved the others from and this is what the world calls a gentleman and a man of honour for one so good so full of pity to others yours are harsh words because i feel i have been unworthily treated m d'harville easily penetrated the girlish openness of my character why then did he not trust to my sympathy and generosity of feeling and tell me the whole truth because you would have refused him this very expression proves how guilty he was and how treacherous was his conduct if he really entertained the idea of my rejecting his hand if informed of the truth He loved you too well to incur the risk of losing you. No, no, my lord. Had he really loved me, he would never have sacrificed me to his selfish passion. Nay, so wretched was my position at that time, and such was my desire to quit my father's roof, that had he been candid and explicit with me, it is more than probable he would have moved me to pity the species of misery he was condemned to endure, and to sympathise with one so cut off from the tender ties which sweeten life i really believe at this moment that touched by his open manly confession as well as interested for one labouring under so severe an affliction of the almighty's hand i should scarcely have had the courage to refuse him my hand and once aware of all i had undertaken nothing should have deterred me from the full and conscientious discharge of every solemn duty towards him but to compel this pity and interest merely because he had me in his power and to exact my consideration and sympathy because unhappily i was his wife and had sworn to obligations the full force of which had been concealed from me was at once the act of a coward and a wrong judging mind how could i hold myself bound to endure the heavy penalties of my unfortunate marriage when my husband had trampled on every tie which binds an honourable mind and now my lord you may form some little idea of my wedded life you are now aware how shamefully i was deceived and that too by the person in whose hands i unsuspectingly placed the future happiness of my whole existence i had implicitly trusted in m d'harville and he had most dishonourably and treacherously repaid my trustfulness with bitter and irremediable wrongs the gentle timid melancholy which had so greatly interested me in his favour and which he attributed to pious recollections was in truth only the workings of a conscience ill at ease and the knowledge of his own incurable infirmity still were he a stranger or an enemy a heart so noble and generous as yours would pity such sufferings as he endures but can i calm those sufferings if he could distinguish my voice or if only a look of recognition answered my sorrowing glance but no oh my lord It is impossible for such as have never seen them to form an idea of those frightful paroxysms, in which every sense is suspended, and the unfortunate sufferer merely recovers from his frenzy to fall into a sort of sullen dejection. When my dear child experiences one of these attacks, it almost breaks my heart to see her tender frame twisted, stiffened, and distorted by the dreadful convulsions which accompany it. Still, she is my own, my beloved infant, and when I see her bitter agonies, My hatred and aversion to her father are increased an hundredfold. But when my poor child becomes calmer, so does my irritation against my husband subside also. And then—ah, then! The natural tenderness of my heart makes my angry feelings give place to a species of sorrow and pity for him. Yet surely I did not marry at only seventeen years of age merely to experience the alternations of hatred and painful commiseration— and to weep over a frail and sickly infant whom after all i may not be permitted to rear and as regards this beloved object of my incessant prayers permit me my lord to anticipate a reproach i doubtless deserve and which you would be unwilling to make my daughter young as she is is capable of interesting my affections and fully occupying my heart but the love she inspires is so cruelly mixed with present anguish and future apprehensions that my tenderness for my child invariably ends in tears and bitter grief when i am with her my heart is torn with agony a heavy crushing weight presses on my heart at the thoughts of her hopeless suffering state not all the fondest devices of a mother's love can overcome a malady pronounced by all our faculty as incurable thus then by way of relief and refuge from the atmosphere of wretchedness which surrounded me i had pictured to myself the possibility of finding calm and repose for my troubled spirit in an attachment so vain so empty that but i have been deceived a second time most unworthily deceived and there is now nothing left for me but to resign myself to the gloom and misery of the life my husband's want of candour has entailed upon me but tell me my lord is it such an existence as i was justified in expecting when i bestowed my hand on Monsieur m and am i alone to blame for those injuries to avenge which my husband had this day determined to take my life my fault was great very great and the more so because the object i had selected was every way so unworthy and leaves me the additional shame of having to blush for my choice happily for me my lord the conversation you overheard between the countess sarah and her brother on the subject of m charles robert spares me much of the humiliation i should otherwise have experienced in making this confession i only venture to hope that since listening to my relation you may be induced to consider me as much an object of pity as i admit i am of blame i cannot express to you madame how deeply your narrative has touched me what gnawing grief what hidden sorrows have you not been called upon to endure from the death of your mother to the birth of your child who would ever believe such ills could reach one so envied so admired and so calculated to enjoy and impart happiness to others oh my lord there are some sorrows so deep so unapproachable that for worlds we would not even have them suspected and the severest increase of suffering would arise from the very doubt of our being the enviable creatures we are believed to be you are right nothing would be more painful than the question openly expressed is she or is he as happy as they seem to be still if there is any happiness in the knowledge be assured you are not the only one who has to struggle with the fearful contrast between reality and that which the world believes how so my lord because in the eyes of all who know you your husband is esteemed even happier than yourself since he possesses one so rich in every good gift and yet is not he also much to be pitied can there be a more miserable existence than the one he leads he has acted unfairly and selfishly towards you but has he not been bitterly punished he loves you with a passion deep and sincere worthy of you to have inspired yet he knows that your only feeling towards him is insurmountable aversion and contempt in his feeble suffering child he beholds a constant reproach nor is that all he is called upon to endure jealousy also assails him with her nameless tortures and how can i help that my lord by giving him no occasion for jealousy you reply and certainly you are right but think you because no other person would possess my love it would any the more be his he knows full well it would not since the fearful scene i related to you we have lived entirely apart while in the eyes of the world i have kept up every necessary appearance of married happiness with the exception of yourself my lord i have never breathed a syllable of this fatal secret to mortal ears thus therefore i venture to ask advice of you i could not solicit from any human being and i madame can with truth assure you that if the trifling service i have rendered you be deemed worthy of notice i hold myself a thousand times overpaid by the confidence you have reposed in me but since you deign to ask my advice and permit me to speak candidly oh yes my lord i beseech you to use the frankness and sincerity you would show to a sister then allow me to tell you that for want of employing one of your most precious qualities you lose vast enjoyments which would not only fill up that void in your heart but would distract you from your domestic sorrows and supply that need of stirring emotions excitement and added the prince smiling i dare almost to venture to add pray forgive me for having so bad an opinion of your sex that natural love for mystery and intrigue which exercises so powerful an empire over many if not all females what do you mean my lord i mean that if you would play at the game of doing good nothing would please or interest you more madame d'harville surveyed rodolph with astonishment and understand resumed he i speak not of sending large sums carelessly almost disdainfully to unfortunate creatures of whom you know nothing and who are frequently undeserving of your favour but if you would amuse yourself as i do at playing from time to time at the game of providence you would acknowledge that occasionally our good deeds put on all the piquancy and charms of a romance i must confess my lord said clemence with a smile it never occurred to me to class charity under the head of amusements it is a discovery i owe to my horror of all tediums all wearisome long protracted affairs a sort of horror which has been principally inspired by long political conferences and ministerial discussions but to return to our game of amusing beneficence i cannot alas aspire to possess that disinterested virtue which makes some people content to entrust others with the office of either ill or well distributing their bounty and if it merely required me to send one of my chamberlains to carry a few hundred louis to each of the divisions in and around paris i confess to my shame that the scheme would not interest me nearly as much as it does at present while doing good after my notions on the subject is one of the most entertaining and exciting amusements you can imagine i prefer the word amusing because to me it conveys the idea of all that pleases charms and allures us and really madame if you would only become my accomplice in a few dark intrigues of this sort you would see that apart from the praiseworthiness of the action nothing is really more curious inviting attractive or diverting than these charitable adventures and then what mystery is requisite to conceal the benefits we render what precautions to prevent ourselves from being discovered what varied yet powerful emotions are excited at the aspect of poor but worthy people shedding tears of joy and calling down heaven's blessing on your head depend upon it such a group is after all more gratifying than the pale angry countenance of either a jealous or an unfaithful lover and there are very few who do not class either under one head or the other the emotions i describe are closely allied to those you experienced this morning while going to the rue du temple simply dressed that you may escape observation you go forth with a palpitating heart you also ascend with a throbbing breast some modest fiacre carefully drawing down the blinds to prevent yourself from being seen then looking cautiously from side to side that you are not observed you quickly enter a mean-looking dwelling just like this morning you see the only difference being that whereas today you said if i am discovered i am lost then you would only smile as you mentally uttered if i am discovered they will overwhelm me with praises and blessings now since you possess your many adorable qualities in all their pure modesty you would employ the most artful schemes the most complicated manoeuvres to prevent yourself from being known and consequently wept over and blessed as an angel of goodness ah my lord cried madame d'harville deeply moved you are indeed my preserver i cannot express the new ideas the consoling hopes awakened within me by your words you are quite right to endeavour to gain the blessing and gratitude of such as are poor and in misery is almost equal to being loved even as i would wish to be nay it is even superior in its purity and absence of self When I compare the existence I now venture to anticipate with the shameful and degraded lot I was preparing for myself, my own reproaches become more bitter and severe. "'I should indeed be grieved,' said Rodolphe, smiling, were that to be the case, since all my desire is to make you forget the past, and to prove to you that there are various modes of recreating and distracting our minds. The means of good and evil are very frequently nearly the same. "'It is the end only which differs.' in a word if good is as attractive as amusing as evil why should we prefer the latter i am going to use a very commonplace and hackneyed simile why do many women take as lovers men not nearly as worthy of that distinction as their own husbands because the greatest charm of love consists in the difficulties which surround it for once deprived of the hopes the fears the anxieties difficulties mysteries and dangers and little or nothing would remain, merely the lover, stripped of all the prestige derivable from these causes, and a very, everyday object he would appear. Very much after the fashion of the individual who, when asked by a friend why he did not marry his mistress, replied, Why, I was thinking of it, but if I did, where should I go to pass my evenings? Your picture is coloured after nature, my lord, said Madame d'Harville, smiling. Well, then, if i can find the means of enabling you to experience the fears the anxieties the excitement which seem to have such charms for you if i can render useful your natural love for mystery and romance your inclination for dissimulation and artifice you see my bad opinion of your sex will peep out in spite of me added rodolph gaily shall i not change into fine and generous qualities instincts which otherwise are mere ungovernable and unmanageable impulses excellent if well employed most fatal if directed badly Now then, what do you say? Shall we get up all manner of benevolent plots and charitable dissipations? We will have our rendezvous, our correspondence, our secrets, and above all, we will carefully conceal all our doings from the Marquis, for your visit of today to the Morels has, in all probability, excited his suspicions. There, you see, it only requires your consent to commence a regular intrigue i accept with joy and gratitude the mysterious associations you propose my lord said Clémence. and by way of beginning our romance i will return to-morrow to visit those poor creatures to whom unfortunately this morning i could only utter a few words of consolation for taking advantage of my terror and alarm the purse you so thoughtfully supplied me with was stolen from me by a lame boy as i ascended the stairs ah my lord added Clémence and her countenance lost the expression of gentle gaiety by which a few minutes before it was animated if you only knew what misery what a picture of wretchedness no oh no i never could have believed so horrid a scene or that such want existed and yet i bewail my condition and complain of my severe destiny rodolph wishing to conceal from madame d'harville how deeply he was touched at this application of the woes of others as teaching patience and resignation yet fully recognizing in the meek and subdued spirit the fine and noble qualities of her mind said gaily with your permission i shall accept the morels from your jurisdiction you shall resign them to my care and above all things promise me not again to enter that miserable place for to tell you the truth i live there you my lord what an idea nay but you really must believe me when i say i live there for it is actually true I confess mine is somewhat a humble lodging, a mere matter of eight pounds a year, in addition to which I pay the large and liberal sum of six francs a month to the porteress Madame Pipelet, that ugly old woman you saw, but to make up for all this, I have as my next neighbour, Mademoiselle Rigolette, the prettiest grisette in the Quartier du Temple, and you must allow that for a merchant's clerk, with a salary of only seventy two pounds a year (I pass as a clerk) such a domicile is well suited to my means your unhoped-for presence in that fatal house proves to me that you are speaking seriously my lord some generous action leads you there no doubt but what good action do you reserve for me what part do you propose for me to sustain that of an angel of consolation and pray excuse and allow me the word a very demon of cunning and manoeuvres for there are some wounds so painful as well as delicate that the hand of a woman only can watch over and heal them there are also unfortunate beings so proud so reserved and so hidden from observation that it requires uncommon penetration to discover them and an irresistible charm to win their confidence and when shall i have an opportunity of displaying the penetration and skill for which you give me credit asked madame d'harville impatiently soon i hope you will have to make a conquest worthy of you but to succeed you must employ all your most ingenious resources "'And when, my lord, will you confide this great secret to me?' "'Let me see. "'You perceive we have already got as far as arranging our rendezvous. "'Could you do me the favour to grant me an audience in four days' time?' "'Dear me, so long First said Clémence innocently. "'But what would become of the mystery of the affair "'and all the strict forms and appearances necessary to be kept up "'if we were to meet sooner? "'Just imagine.' if our partnership were suspected people would be on their guard and we should seldom achieve our purpose i may very probably have to write to you who was that aged female who brought me your note an old servant of my mother's the very personification of prudence and discretion i will then address my letters under cover to her and she will deliver them into your hands if you are kind enough to return any answer address to m rodolph and that your maid put your letters in the post i will do that myself my lord when taking my usual morning's walk do you often walk out alone in fine weather nearly every day that's right it is a custom all young women should observe from the very earliest period of their marriage either from a good or an improper provision against future evil the habit once established it becomes what the lawyer's style a precedent and in subsequent days these habitual promenades excite no dangerous interpretations if i had been a woman and between ourselves i fear i should have been very charitable but equally flighty the very day after my marriage i should in all possible innocence have taken the most mysterious steps and with perfect simplicity have involved myself in all manner of suspicious and compromising proceedings for the purpose of establishing the precedent i spoke of in order to be at liberty either to visit my poor pensioners or to meet my lover but that would be downright perfidy to one's husband would it not my lord said madame d'harville smiling fortunately for you madame you have never been driven to the necessity of admitting the utility of such provisionary measures madame d'harville's smile left her lips she cast down her eyes and blushing deeply said in a low and sad voice this is not generous my lord at first Rodolphe regarded the marquise with astonishment then added I understand you madame but once for all let us weigh well your position as regards monsieur charles robert I will just imagine that one of your acquaintances may one day have pointed out to you one of those pitiable looking mendicants who roll their eyes most sentimentally and play on the clarinet with desperate energy to awaken the sympathy of the passers-by that is really and truly a genuine case of distress observes your friend that interesting musician has at least seven children and a wife deaf dumb blind etc ah poor fellow you reply charitably aiding him with your purse and so each time you meet this case of genuine distress the clarinet player the moment he discerns you from afar fixes his imploring eyes upon you while the most touching strains of his instrument are directed to touch your charitable sympathies and that too so successfully that again your purse opens at this fresh appeal one day more than usually disposed to pity this very unfortunate object by the importunities of the friend who first pointed him out to you and who is most wickedly abusing your generous heart you resolve to visit this case of genuine distress as your false friend terms it and to behold the poor object of your solicitude in the midst of his misery well you go but lo the grief-stricken musician has vanished, and in his place you find a lively, rollicking fellow, enjoying himself over some of the good things of this world, and mirthfully carolling forth the last new alehouse catch. Then disgust succeeds to pity, for you have bestowed your sympathy and charity alike upon an impostor, neither more nor less. Is it not so? Madame d'Herville could not restrain a smile at this singular apologue she however soon checked it as she added however grateful i may feel for this mode of justifying my great imprudence my lord i can but confess i dare not avail myself of so favourable a pretext as that of a mistaken charity yet after all yours was an error based upon motives of noble and generous pity for the wounded feelings of one you believed a genuine object for commiseration fortunately there are so many ways left you of atoning for one indiscretion that your regret need be but small shall i not have the pleasure of seeing m d'harville this evening no my lord the scene of this morning has so much affected him that he is ill said the marquise in a low tremulous tone ah replied rodolphe sadly i understand come courage you were saying that you required a name a motive a means of directing your thoughts Permit me to hope that all this will be accomplished by following out the plan I have proposed. Your heart will be then so filled with a delightful recollection of all the happiness you have caused and all the good you have effected that in all probability you will find no room for resentment against your husband. In place of angry feelings, you will regard him with the same sorrowing pity you look on your dear child. And as for the interesting little creature herself, now you have confided to me the cause of her delicate health, i almost think myself warranted in bidding you yet to entertain hopes of overcoming the fearful complaint which has hitherto affected her tender frame oh my lord exclaimed clmence clasping her hands with eagerness can it be possible how in what manner can my child be saved i have as physician to myself and household a man almost unknown though possessed of a first-rate science great part of his life was passed in america and i remember his speaking to me of some marvellous cures performed by him on slaves attacked by this distressing complaint and do you really think my lord nay you must not allow yourself to dwell too confidently upon success the disappointment would be so very severe only do not let us wholly despair clmence d'harville cast a hasty glance of unutterable gratitude over the noble features of rodolph the firm unflinching friend who reconciled her to herself with so much good sense intelligence and delicacy of feeling then she asked herself how for one instant she could ever have been interested in the fate of such a being as m the very idea was hateful to her what do i not owe you my lord cried she in a voice of thrilling emotion you console me for the past you open to me a glimpse of hope for my child and you place before me a plan of future occupation which shall afford me both consolation and the delight of doing my duty ah was i not right when i said that if you would come here to-night you would finish the day as you had begun it by performing a good action and pray madame do not omit to add an action after my own heart where all is pleasure and unmixed enjoyment in its performance and now adieu said rodolph rising as the clock struck half-past eleven Adieu, my lord, and pray do not forget to send me news ere long of those poor people in the rue du Temple. I will see them tomorrow, for, unfortunately, I knew not of that little limping rascal having stolen your purse, and I fear that the unhappy creatures are in the most deplorable want. Have the kindness to bear in mind that, in the course of four days, I shall come to explain to you the nature of the part you will be required to undertake. One thing I must prepare you for, and that is the probability of its being requisite for you to assume a disguise on the occasion a disguise oh how charming what sort of one my lord i cannot tell you at present i will leave the choice to you all that is requisite said the prince on his return home to save this excellent woman from the perils of another attachment is to fill her mind with generous thoughts and since an invincible repugnance separates her from her husband to employ her love for the romantic in such charitable actions as shall require being enshrouded in mystery End of chapter eleven part four read by celine Major.